Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Isaac's Autism Well Podcast. I'm really excited about this one. I have to be honest. It's not that I don't love podcasting with providers and community partners, but I tell you what, my jam is really connecting with other parents. So I have Maria Jennings, one of my favorite autism parents, joining me for this podcast of Isaac's Autism Wild. Thank you for coming. Yes, good morning. I should have offered you some coffee, um, and I totally forgot about that. I guess I just thought that you would have rolled in with your Starbucks or your Dutch Bros. And it's uh, consumed already in my car. Has it? Oh, <laughs> yeah, see. we're good. Oh, I already had one cup of coffee on the way here, and then as I was tinkering around before you arrived, I uh, had to make myself another cup. So um, anyway, because it, like, it feels like a two-coffee cup day to me. And one that the caffeine doesn't really matter, like the caffeine intake, because yeah. it's so cold well, that it doesn't matter. And usually, well, if I was at home, I would be drinking out of my cup that says this may be alcohol, because who knows? You don't know. This could actually be alcohol in my in my cup here. So, yeah, it's been one of those days already. Well, today I asked you to join me because I haven't talked about siblings in a l- very long time, and I thought to myself, who would be a great guest to be talking about the impact that having a brother or sister touched by autism has on siblings than Maria Jennings. I have enough of them to offer sibling experience. So yes. yes. So let's talk a little bit just for those that are not familiar with Maria because it has been a a long little Mm -hmm. bit since I've had you on a podcast. Um, Kids are finally back in school which just makes also we were trying to do Zoom recordings and you live out in the country like I do which means streaming without buffering and all the things is nearly impossible. So every time we do something via Zoom and it's you and me we're always like the weakest link because it's like oh everything's frozen oh I can't hear what Maria is saying but we decided to actually pull out microphones today and do it in person because the kids are in school Woo-hoo. finally yes and when we were trying to do it at our house you know you're fighting the YouTube videos that are constantly streaming oh, and yes. all of the autism things yes. so this is a much better opportunity for success. This is a rare treat for us. It is. Yeah, we should have like actually like catered and brought in lunch too because I tell you what, this is like a, an event for you and I. I'm just really happy that you're joining me. For those that are less familiar um, or haven't heard you for a while, would you mind just recapping your family dynamic? Because oh, you yes. are a blended family like my own. Yes, we are a beautiful blended family. We're blended not only with kiddos but also race. So we kind of get it from both ends of that spectrum as well. Yes. Um, we have a total of five kiddos, four boys and a girl, and they range in eight to 18. Oh, yeah. So our youngest is eight, and then the boys are 15, 16, 17, and 18. Oh, my goodness. So, now, and your daughter, Brooklyn, is yes. um, you and your husband had a child once you were married, and yes. that is little Brooklyn, and oh, my goodness, what a delight she is. Um, so for those of you that are listening, a little recap on my dynamic. So similar, other than we're not mixed mixed nationalities, but we are a family of seven. Yes, seven. So John has three kids ranging from 21, and his youngest daughter is 16. Their middle son, Cooper, who's 18, is um, impacted by autism. 
And then me, biologically, um, obviously my Isaac has passed away, but I have three other children, Tyler, who is going to be 18 in March, if you can believe that. And then my son, Caleb, who has autism, is going to be 14 next month. And then my daughter just turned 12. Now, John and I then decided that um, there was my son brought home this young man named Trevor in the eighth grade way back when. And it's he, been that long. It has. I know. And so he was struggling with just a uh, homelessness. And so we ended up um, taking him in and have, you know, adopted him like our own, but he is 18 and he'll be 19 next month. So both Tyler and Trevor are graduating high school, keeping my fingers crossed if we're being totally honest. Um, Trevor is doing very well. Ironically, the child that has, you know, survived so many, so much adversity in his life is actually doing incredibly well. He's going to New Tech. It's my biological (laughs) child that really, you know, while yes, it's not always been easy, um, he's had all sorts of opportunities provided to him. And he's the one that doesn't really take schooling very serious, but God willing, Tyler and Trevor will both be graduating. Yes, and Bryce graduates this spring, too. Yeah, so we actually, between the two of us, we have three seniors. Now, when does um, Darius? Uh, Next year. Oh, so he's a junior this year. I meant to ask because he, let's talk about Darius real quick because he is a neurotypical boy, but he has been volunteering for me for a long time. So he's actually older than your son, Josiah, who's impacted by autism. Yes, so our youngest son is Josiah, who's 15 and impacted with autism yeah yeah and so Darius is he's just such I mean a go-getter he's just really passionate about what what actually he wants to go into he's really passionate about horses well come to find out he as he gets older he's just passionate about everything Everything. like he's on a cheer squad now really like doing like the balancing and like lifting and throwing oh my gosh and he works at a barn full-time cleaning stalls and raising horses and all the things and and so cooperatively going to school. Yeah, okay, <laughs> like, so that makes me feel a little bit better. Yes, yes. There's a there's Isn't a it gap. Terrible that I'm just happy that someone else is also experiencing just that lack of desire. I think COVID well, killed it for a lot of them. I think what happened with COVID is they realized they can do eight hours of schoolwork in two hours, yeah. and they can't justify anymore going for six hours mm-hmm. when they can get it done in two and then go to work. Yeah, that's and then go to cheer. He's like his his grades are phenomenal. Yeah, his attendance is atrocious. Yeah. But it's hard to stand on a leg when you're like, when I'm getting all A's. I'm doing what you're asking me to do. And it's the whole like legal requirement piece that we're kind of dancing around. We got the little letter in the mail. Oh, good. Okay. Isn't it terrible that I was just so relieved and grateful that there are other parents that got the Becca Law Bill letter sent to them by their school district about attendance? (sighs) Okay. But it's hard to get a kid who's so independent to see the value of going when he's doing all the things that are asked of him. Oh, yeah, and excelling. And excelling. Yeah. So getting him to go is probably not going to happen. Yeah, and they made that bet. See, I'm just grateful that my boys are seniors, and so... I don't have, I, it, it, we just cross our fingers, have to get to May, and then this right. nightmare will be over. Whereas you still have a whole nother phenomenal year, and yeah. that's not so great for you. So I, my heart goes out to you for well, that, because I can't even imagine if I, I would probably be like sobbing, and then I could definitely say that there's alcohol in my coffee, because <laughs> I just, you know, just getting till June is really all I'm trying to do right now with those two boys, but. And I think one thing that has occurred in our house is how to be a self-advocate because of Josiah and having to be his advocate that, you know, our kids watch what we do 
and Darius very much advocates for himself. Oh, he yes. will go in and talk to administration. He will t handle all of his stuff. So regardless of how blue we get in the face telling him he has to go to school, we can't drive him there. We can't make him go. Yeah. It's all on him. You right? can't sit in his class. I mean, I guess you could sit in his classes. But I've threatened to sit in Tyler's classes with him to make sure he stays where he's supposed to. But to me, that's like almost after a while, it's not teaching them the consequences of not going. Yeah. Like I'm all for, okay. Natural consequences. You know our expectations, yeah. natural consequences, Becca Bill, we go from there. Yeah. Like, and that's I'm not I losing said. any sleep over it. That's exactly what I said. So when the judge called and says, hey, you actually have to go to court because we got the warning letter. Yes. And I'm like, so if we actually have to make a court appearance, then you're going to need to advocate for yourself in mm -hmm. front of a judge. And you mm -hmm. let him know your feelings on this. Interestingly that you say that because... Tyler also is a strong advocate for himself, too. So he is Caleb's older brother, um, younger than Isaac. But it's so interesting that you say that because he has no problem advocating for himself at school. Tyler, by state testing, should be in advanced placement classes. But Tyler has decided early, early on that he thinks um, four-year education is just not for him. Um, right now, the trades are really uh, important and desirable for him, and that's really where his interest is, which is why he goes to the New Tech Skill Center in Construction Technology. So when they wanted him to be in advanced placement English, advanced placement math, he was like, uh, that doesn't really fit in with my long-term plans. So he went, talked to his counselor about, you know, this is really actually a crock of, well, bleep bleep. Um, I don't want to be in these classes. It's not, I'm not going, if I was going to a four-year education, that might make sense. But even then, I would, he said, I would even argue whether it's, you know, necessary. Okay, that's funny because Darius too was approached about AP classes and he's like, I'll take those in college. Why do I want to work extra hard now? where I'm going to have to work even harder when I get to college because I'll still have to take more classes. Why not just graduate? Because that's the expectation. Yeah. And I will succeed at appropriate timing. Yeah, and that's what he said. He yeah. says, I'd rather just get an A in regular English instead of having to work like three times as hard to get an A in advanced placement English. And because my philosophy early on was just take one. You don't have to take all AP classes. Just pick one. English is really his subject. That's where he can creatively write himself out of all sorts of trouble. Trust me, <laughs> I can attest to this over the years. Uh, but he was just like, nope, just doesn't fit in my plan. And at a certain point, you have to just say... Okay, go with it. But the overarching message that both you and I are saying in this, which leads to the topic that we're talking about today, is the impact that having a child with autism has on the siblings. And you have yes. pointed out that Darius is very, he's a very strong advocate. He's also very independent. Also with Tyler. Tyler's a great self-advocate for himself, and he also is very independent. But the reason why we believe they are independent is because we have to spend so much time and attention raising our children that are impacted by autism that it just is a natural... I don't want to say consequence because I don't think there's something negative, but it is an it's it's really kind of the I honestly call it like a trigger response. It is like trauma it's a, response. It's a trauma response. Yeah. yeah. Because they've had to kind of step up in places where other kids might have had parents to rely on, where we were overly consumed with whatever autism was presenting that hour, day, month even. Yeah. Where they've had to kind of step up to the plate earlier than most. We definitely see that in Brooklyn yes. where everybody's like, that's so great. She's so this. And I'm like, 
it's a trauma response. Oh, yeah. It's like the educator in me knows exactly yeah. where the behavior is coming from. On the outside, it looks phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Other people are inside, looking at us like we are like, wow, look at these ladies raising these young, independent you know, resilient, resourceful young ladies, because now we're going to talk about the two girls, because Kelly is my youngest, so she is younger than Caleb, and Brooklyn is younger than Josiah, Mm -hmm. and you want to talk about two very independent and strong young ladies, that is what you get with Kelly and Brooklyn, however, exactly what you're saying, it is really a trauma response, and so I wanted to talk about that a little bit, because on one hand, I am so proud of her at times, like she has no problem firing off an email to the principal at her school with a suggestion or an idea or just, you know, that she's sad and that she just, you know, blah, 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 blah. My mom sucks and doesn't give me enough attention because that kind of happened during COVID. She didn't actually email the principal at that time, but she was really (laughs) struggling during COVID because with all the online educating that was having to happen and all the extra supports that I had to give um, Caleb, the two teenage boys, they also needed support, but it was support like me kicking them out of the bed to get yes. them online for the yes. Zoom. So yes. they didn't need supports with their classes. They just needed management to stay on the Zoom class and actually not fall asleep during the Zoom class. And I didn't even require cameras on. Oh, I'm like, but your yeah. laptop has to be open and I need to hear that you're in class. Mm-hmm. Your engagement level is up to you. Like, I can't make you engage. But just sign into class and keep your laptop open you know what i did a couple of times because tyler would go to sleep and would be sleeping and drooling on his desk so i would angle his screen on his face and then turn the camera on <laughs> so the teacher could see that he was asleep <laughs> and then of course they're just like tyler tyler i see you and then he's just like what what how did my camera i'm like maybe the teacher can turn it on so weird weird uh, anyway he finally did figure out about the fifth time that it was actually me turning on the camera and angling the laptop so that she could see he was asleep <laughs> but i was just so tired of having to nag him and I felt like if the teacher could see what I'm having to deal with maybe there would be a little bit of empathy Um, and there was a little bit but at the end of the day it's natural consequences yeah yeah so with the girls I feel like you know it wasn't that we set out to make these I mean I always wanted to make sure that my daughter was very independent that she had you know the skills and resources to be able to be successful but not to the degree that I'm seeing with my daughter now because I do feel like you're you're, everything that you have said trigger response it is a response to trauma and while be it you know, I, I have a lot of guilt about it because, mm-hmm. you know, no one says, you know, oh, yay, let's raise these really independent and, and you know, um, self-advocate young ladies based, I mean, no one wants to expose their children to trauma in no. order to get that level of independence. So how do you kind of, how, how do you and Brian Keith, your husband, like rationalize that? Is there? Um, you know, I don't even know that we rationalize it. We just accept it for what it is. And Sometimes I look at her, and I am heavily trained in, like, A scores and trauma in children and early childhood development. Like, that is my wheelhouse. So when I was seeing her do things, it hit, like, the educator heart in me because I know why it's happening. And not being able to prevent it has been hard. Like, she's seven, gets up, gets herself ready for school, packs her own lunch, like, does all the things, which is great. But for a seven-year-old to do that is because she knows that I'm going to be busy doing something else and that she can't ask for help, so she just has already stopped. Which at seven in second grade is hard because she was home for half of kindergarten, all of first grade of COVID. So she didn't even have those years of experience behind her on how to gain those skills to be done, like her time management. Um, 
And she'll, the thing that I struggle the most with is when she's like, oh, mom, it's okay. Just let them have it because we don't want them to get upset. Oh, we have that and in our house too. It's okay. As a fear though, I don't want her to grow up and to be in a relationship as a woman oh thinking goodness, that yes. it's, oh, I'm just going to appease. or I'm Path not, of least resistance. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to be beneficial for her as an adult in an adult's relationship. Like that's where my mind automatically goes, where she's justifying negative abusive behavior as okay at seven, but I don't want it to be okay ever, especially at 18, 28, 38. That's exactly what my concern is too. Now in our family, um, Caleb and Kelly are actually pretty close. Caleb is high functioning. um, So he has a lot of, you know, he's very, you know, um, conversational. He also, we worked really hard on that whole level of empathy because, you know, that was one of my big concerns is that, you know, he doesn't understand how actions impact other people because he only sees the world from his perspective. So we spent an exorbitant amount of time talking about how do you think that makes this person feel? Like when you say this, like we have to, this is what this other person is hearing and this is how they might interpret that. So we spend a lot of time with Caleb on that. So his level of empathy... Now, there are days where he still does not give two hoots, and mm-hmm. he's just like, I don't care. This is what I want, and Kelly can just go suck it. And it's like, well, that is actually pretty neurotypical when you're 14 and your sister is 12, so I'm going to go ahead and let that go and let you guys figure that out. But where we struggle is, again, um, my husband's son, Cooper, who's 18, is significantly impacted, doesn't have a lot of functional language. So it's a lot of behaviors that are communicating his needs and wants, and it's not always very pretty or positive. Or ours is very reactionative. Yes. Like, oh, I want to see what happens if I... Like, he's very, Josiah is very curious. He's like, well, if I pull her hair, what will happen? Yeah. If I do this, what will be the outcome? Um, he's very big into cause and effect. Oh, interesting. And unfortunately for us, the first time it happened, we had a big reaction. Oh, okay. And then it was all downhill from yeah, there. Because you now know. he's just wanting to see the reaction. Mm-hmm. And, and again, without that level of empathy about, oh, wow, I made a mistake, then it's really difficult to unhardwire his desire for the cause and effect. And I think he wants to see different emotions. He himself doesn't feel a lot of, like, joy, sadness. Like, his emotions are pretty flat. So I think it's a curiosity thing, too. Mm -hmm. I honestly do. Like, what would make somebody cry? Well, this does and this does. And I don't know that it's definitely... Sometimes it's an intent to hurt yeah. because he's 15 and Brooklyn's seven or almost eight. And that's a sibling thing. Yes. But sometimes I really think it's, well, what would cause that? Yeah. And what does that sound like? And what does that look like? Because he studies her face yeah. when she's upset or when she's feeling certain things. And, and she's very expressive, too. Very expressive. And he's just now at 15 getting able to like, why are you crying? Okay. Why are you like he's able to notice emotion? Yeah. At 15, where we've been working on that skill since three. Yeah, exactly. You know? So so in our house, he, he, Cooper never puts his hands on anyone, thankfully. I mean, he has lots of, you know, big meltdowns. Um, but for the most part, it's never... If he's ever bumped into somebody because he's, you know, moving from one room to the next, it's not like an intentional shove you onto the ground. I'm not saying that, you know, he hasn't clipped people as he's running from room to room. But... Um, where he is, um, a typical sibling is his, again, he wants to see um, some of that emotion too. So he will destroy or damage something that she's worked on or she spent a lot of time in and then just laughs and laughs and laughs and just thinks it's hysterical. 
And Kelly tries to hide it because again, having she has figured out that by showing emotion or you know a feeling about it it almost then makes it worse but it's hard when you know she spent all these hours working on something and he's just absolutely destroyed it or colored on it um and you know he can see the dis and he's over there just laughing it's like yes. almost like the joker laugh like you know just belly rolling laughing and it's interesting in our house how he really targets kelly and her things and so i think it's because she is very expressive and he also tends to do it with my stuff too he's very destructive with my things mm. um and i think it's because we're the two women in the house and women yes. tend to be more yes. expressive i think yes. and so for him he can see more of the reaction and that's what is you know Know, stimu stimulating to him and so because again he I don't and, and again the reason why I'm saying this is because my boys are not good about putting their things away because they're boys and they don't yes. care but it's interesting that it's usually Kelly or my things that he ends up getting when he gets his hands on becomes the catastrophic uh you know I mean, it's just, it's not salvageable. And how much delight he gets from laughing. And one of his stimming things that he says over and over again is, it's not funny, it's not funny, it's not funny, it's not funny. Because people will, when uh, he does it, and then someone says, that's, you know, that's not funny, then that's what's like programmed in his head. So then he's walking around belly laughing and then saying over and over again, it's not funny, that's not funny. And so it's hard because there's so much delight in the fact that he has gotten that reaction. So you try really hard not to. But then on the other hand, too, if you don't respond or you don't redirect, then are you sending the message that it's fine? So it's like this double-edged, I don't know which yes. way is better. Yes. It's so either way, I feel like we're kind of screwed. Either one, there's no reaction whatsoever. And then it's kind of like, oh, I can keep doing it. Or there is reaction and he's getting that charge because he sees the reaction and the facial expressions of, you know, that he has created, that he enjoys, it seems. Yes. So I I don't know how to really rationalize and it. Ours is, Josiah, is about as verbal as Cooper, yes. I'm imagining. Yeah. So men, a few words, but very acquittive words. Yes. Like they're used very appropriately. So when he does stir up Brooklyn and she does get angry or upset, he's like, ha ha, Brooklyn, loser, loser, and like points. Oh. And that, of course, Makes hits a worse. different nerve. Mm. And, and then he's like, ha ha ha, you want to play now? And she's like, no. I don't want to play. Do you think he really wants to play? I think he does. Really? I think he has no idea how to appropriately engage in parallel, pure, peer play. Because in school, it's never been allowed. It's okay. never been practiced. Yeah, because he's been always in self-contained classroom Always in self-contained, always with a one-on-one, -on -one, always kind of in his own space. Yeah. So he doesn't have the skill set on how to engage in appropriate play how to even start appropriate play. Interesting. So this is so, his precursor to getting her attention. Yes. Oh. Like, and no matter how hard we have taught, yeah. um, it's not a skill that's been generalized other than in that moment. Yeah. And I personally, maybe it's just the mom in me, really is he's just trying to figure out how to engage with her. Yeah. But he knows that if he's does something that's reactive, that'll get our attention and then we can start the conversation. On his behalf. On his behalf. Yes. But he'll tap on shoulders and ask if you want to play. But she's unfortunately been so traumatized by him. She's like, I don't want to play with him. I don't feel safe. I don't feel yeah. all of these well, Especially things. when he does physically pull yes. her hair and bop yes. her and, you know. Yes. And he, she is his target. Yeah. Yeah. And always has been. Yeah. But 
they've grown up together also. Like, there's only a six years difference. Yeah. Well, so. and and that's the thing. And exactly what you said before, which really resonates with me, is, is that Kelly has gotten into a lot of the time when she's disappointed. She doesn't even tell us that she's disappointed. Yeah. Um, it's okay. And then she just goes in her room. And then, you know, we have, in our home, we have to have combination doorknob locks on all the doors in order to keep him from getting into each of the kids' bedrooms. Will you, can we chat about that? Oh my goodness. Because that is a need that so we awesome. haven't been able to meet yet. Yes, it is so awesome because okay. it was intended because he very much does target a lot of her things yes. um, to destroy them because it's entertaining. It's funny because he can stand in Cooper or Caleb's room and he, like, Caleb likes to play with the Legos and make sculptures and stuff. And all of the years, he has never once destroyed any of Caleb's Lego build things. But I can't even count on all of my hands and my toes the number of things that he has destroyed of Kelly's that were like art projects. Um, that is so interesting. Isn't it? And again, you know, these are the things that like as I'm laying in bed at night thinking about how to support each of the kids and try and make things, you know, better for all of them that I've never, you know, it's like I spend so much time trying to analyze what is it about Kelly? And so I think it's interesting that in your world that was how it's you're interpreting very that. much the same. Yes, and I, that's kind of what my thought is is because of Kelly and her expressiveness and how, um, you know, she's just, you can read all of the emotions crossing her face where the boys are just a little more flat. Like, the boys just hide their emotions better. Mm -hmm. I think most males do hide it better. It makes me feel better that that's kind of a thought that has crossed because your guys' mind as well. Josiah never touches Darius's things, ever. Yeah. He'll never touch Bryce's things. Doesn't even really engage with Bryce. Like, they say hi in passing. That's about the level of engagement. But he is, like, getting in Brooklyn's space all the time, mm -hmm. like, waking her up. Like, it's all, it's, like, constant, but yeah. never with the other boys. Mm. So does she spend a lot of time in her bedroom? Like, Yeah, unfortunately, that's her safe spot. So yeah. when he's super escalated, and she's able to read him very well. Um, and I think she reads us very well, where we start to get to a level that she's recognized as this is not going to end up very well. Like yeah. we're at the beginning stages that she's like, I'm just going to go in my room and we have turned her lock around so she can lock herself into her bedroom mm. as a safety because when he is super escalated, he will break down doors and all of the things. Yeah. So she has learned a coping mechanism to put herself into a safe spot, which again is great, but it's also very, very trauma-induced. Yes. Very trauma-induced. Yeah. So... And that's Kelly spends a lot of time in her room and she is getting to the age. I mean, she's 12 and she likes mm -hmm. watching her YouTube videos and um, she plays with makeup and does all of her crafts in there. But um, again, a lot of it is, is that, you know, it's like her trying to defend her little segment of the world. And yes. I'm telling you what, the locking doorknobs are great because I can still get in her room then. Um, but it's a key, com you know, it's a, you know, punch yes. code into the doorknob. So it's been also, she feels more safe. And also not just from you know, Cooper going in and helping himself to her things that also when she's annoyed at her other um, brother, her, you know, teenage brother, she, you know, goes in there and slams her door and nobody can pester her because that's the other thing too is that she being the little one, the two teenage boys, they just know that she, they do it to her too. They know they can get her goat and that she will be reactive. Whereas Caleb's like, uh, whatever. And also I think it's a little douchey of them when they're picking on Caleb and they feel like they're jerks. Whereas with <laughs> Kelly, you know, she's neurotypical. She's a girl. So they have no, like, there's just no... No qualms no about qualms it. No qualms about just going in and just poking her buttons just for no reason whatsoever. So it's been good for 
um, you know, just on multiple levels, just her being able to have that space and a doorknob that only, you know, my husband and I can, you know, get into, you know, be able to, you know, dinner's ready, whatever the case may be. Yeah, because we have been looking at some sort of solution where Josiah is obsessed with coins. And if he finds a coin, he thinks he's going to pack a bag and go to a bus stop. Because oh, he is mm-hmm. obsessed with this mermaid event center in Florida to the point that he's realized it's out of somebody's residence and he's Googled the residence and has it like, he has his trip planned from our house to the STA bus transit station that was just built three miles. Yes. And he has the whole itinerary oh on his gosh. phone laid out to the resident's house, like zoomed in on Google Maps. Okay, what executive function uh-huh. he has to be able to figure that out, and yet it doesn't translate to any other functional area of, no. of, of function in his life. So he sees a penny. He thinks he can get on the bus. He sees a dime. So we always have to keep bedroom doors locked. Um, but to know that it was key locked, because ours is just like you push like a Q-tip in and you yes. can unlock it. Oh, you know, like girl, the 70s you. houses, you know? Yeah. You know what? I'm going to just do all the parents that are listening to this podcast a favor, and I'm going to put in the show notes the yes. link to the Amazon doorknob that I have purchased. The other thing, too, is just so you know, listeners, my husband is a firefighter, and he is very comfortable with these being on the doors, because when John comes in, if a house is on fire and he's coming in to do a vent enter search, we have an Isaac alert registered to our house. So there are, and we definitely, um, so an Isaac alert, for those of you that are not aware, is is that we, Isaac Foundation helps to facilitate Isaac alerts here in Spokane County. So families go to our Isaac Foundation website. I will also put this in the show notes. If you click on Isaac alert, it then um, gives you a form that you can fill out. And it asks for your address um, and then specific information about your loved one that's impacted by a disability. It doesn't have to be autism, which is why it's not called an autism alert. It's called an Isaac alert, but what you can register is there's six things that you can check on the form. Um, If your child or loved one is a wandering risk, if they can be combative under stress, if they're not nonverbal, if they're not able to follow verbal instructions, if they can enter or they if they need assistance exiting a structure in the case of an emergency. And my favorite box to check is whether or not there is egress and ingress uh, access issues inside of your home, meaning that if first responders were to come to your house in emergency, if they would have a difficult time being able to navigate your home due to complex locks or perhaps mm. plexiglass on windows because we have a headbanger and he does um, kick and hit glass. Um, so that just tells the fire department and police department that in the event of a fire or an emergency, they know coming into your home, because this information, when the address is plugged into the 911 dispatch center, it automatically populates the Isaac alert and it gets paged out to first responders that are in route. So what they would then receive is, is that we have egress and ingress access issues inside of our home, meaning that we have complex locks and modifications to our home that first responders need to know in the event of emergency. So the reason why I bring this up is is that my husband, we have that box checked on our Isaac alert. Um, So they know if there was a fire in our home, they need to be prepared to kick down doors to get access to different rooms in our home. And I trust me, they will get access to all areas of your home
home if they need to because they have tools and they have feet and they actually do training um, in terms of how they can access different areas that um, are barricaded or whatnot. So my husband is very comfortable having these and they're just like doorknobs, you know. So again, you kick a door hard enough and that door jam is going to give way and you're going to get access to that room. But we just make sure that on our Isaac alert, then anyone that's coming into our home knows that there's going to be potential access issues because we have to. We have to be able to sleep. Yes. And yes. I can't, you know, again, you know, we, you know, are, are trying to keep them out of areas of the house because there's, it's not safe. Um, we also have one on our kitchen because otherwise he would be in our kitchen all day and all night eating just everything he could get his hands on. And that's not safe either. It's not healthy. So I will put in the show link, a link to the Isaac alert. And I will also put the doorknobs that we're using. They were very affordable. I have one on all of the kids' bedroom doors, including mine, and also um, the kitchen because that is also mm. an issue. We also have it in our garage because, again, for some reason, if someone was to leave, you know, with a standard lock, if you leave the garage door unlocked and he was to get in there, there's all sorts of things in there we don't want him necessarily being able to have access to. There was a phase, a season of time. Seasons. A season. We there was a seasons. season of time where one of Cooper's favorite things to do is because he's obsessed with engines, is he would top off all your fluids in your vehicle. But you didn't necessarily know that he had done it, and you didn't <sighs> know which fluid he had put in different reservoirs in your vehicle so then you would have to pump and drain all of the different reservoirs power steering oh, um, no. brake all the things um, your radiator that <sighs> also may have power steering fluid in you just didn't know so anyway that was another season that we went through and why it's important to make sure that you're locking doors and access to areas that you don't want your child with a disability to have access to so doorknobs people locking yes. doorknobs so. so Josiah is an elopist. Oh yes. To um, it's pretty severe. Oh, he I, is he because of Josiah. I have so many wonderful training tidbits that I get to share with first responders about just um, patterns and yes. how smart they can be when it comes to eloping, but yet not have a lot of generalized skills to be able to help them once they have eloped. Yes, and that's the struggle. Um, but. Like we have our his bedroom windows locked because he would jump out of his window, and we have like a motion sensor alarm in our hallway. So when he opened his door, it sounds like Seven Eleven, and there's like oh, yeah. lights and there's buzzers and all the things. Um, but that's basically the only sort of reinforcements that we have. But if you're not watching, he's going out the front door, he's going out the back door, and he's very very quiet. Oh yes. And during COVID, when we were home, it was like. I can't go to the bathroom until somebody gets home because it literally is 24-7 eyes on. Yes. It's like literally you're going to have to learn how to pee in a cup so that you yes. can actually like pee in your living room. I mean, and I hate fast, to say this. Fast, like just fast. But that's life. That's life. Yes. Yeah. No, there so are to times know that where I, I have had get... to pee outside because it's like, oh, I can't go inside no, and pee because no. you got to be able to eyes on and know. Now, Cooper isn't like a wanderer, but he, you know, like I said, he'll get into stuff and he can be very destructive. And Josiah very much is a wanderer. And he, um, without his verbal skills, he's not able to tell us, like, what his intent is, like, which direction he has gone. Like, there's a McDonald's by us, and there's a Target, like, 40 miles away. But one time he left because he wanted a new toy that he saw in a commercial. A that Target was commercial? A Target commercial. Oh, sweet Jesus. And a new toy or a new game was out. And so when we found him about two miles, and granted, this was literally as fast as turning our backs to load the dishwasher, and he is gone. Yeah. Um, 
And when we finally found him, we're like, buddy, what was your plan? Target? Oh, 40 miles away. And he was about two miles away at this point, but he was walking. Yeah. Um, but to know that we could put a, a locked door, like a numbered locked door on the back garage door. Oh, yeah. And in our pantry door, because the pantry lead, then leads out to the garage. Like, if we could stop him from there, that's a safety feature. Like, I would, like we have to update our Isaac alert, so what a perfect time. Yes. Because we got the email that says, okay, it's time to update, yes. which I'm so thankful because I would never remember when it was due. That's a really so, good point. Thank you for sending that email. Yes. So my computer, my website is so smart that 11 months, um, because the Isaac alerts are only good for 12 months because we don't want the information being stagnant. So what happens in 11 months is my system automatically kicks you an thank email. goodness. And says, hey, um, your Isaac alert will expire on this date. Here's the link to complete it again. So easy. So wonderful. So awesome. But and so necessary and because so necessary. as a mama, it's on my mind, but not not until Almost I need it. The, yeah, until yeah. you get the email. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How can you keep track of all the things? Because you have five kids here you're keeping track of. Yep. Yeah. Barely. Let's be honest. Well, like. Okay. So I'm just, okay. <laughs> thank you for that. That's a nice segue too. How many times have you forgotten to pick up a kid at school oh, this year? Okay. I'm on three. It's, okay. Well, it's December and I have forgotten to pick up my kids three times because... I forget what day it is, or I get my signals crossed, and I'm like, wait, you didn't pick them up? And then you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So I haven't forgotten this year. Luckily, my two boys are drivers, so they are just so very independent, and I'm so thankful. Um, it happened about two years ago, and we were still in the middle school, and we had the um, D.C. trip oh, yeah. parent meeting oh. and spaced it totally spaced it and my kids are like well I'll just meet you there in the morning well the 7 a.m. Maria and the oh. 4 o'clock Maria two different people yes. we are not the same it's not even the same brain I don't think no like there's, yeah. no so I was at the Y swimming with Brooklyn after working all day so I mean my hair was fantastic Ooh, I, makeup a... running down my face because 4, a, 4 p.m. Maria just doesn't care no oh, I yeah. don't care I don't even care because I'm going home no yeah, I don't even care at so 7 I show up at the middle school with wet chlorine hair mascara all up all over my face smelling like chlorine in the Y like it has a very distinct scent and here I am in the middle of a parent meeting just rocking it yeah but there I was. You did it. I did, did it. it. I'm going to defend myself one time when I forgot Caleb was because I wasn't aware. I mean, I know when early release happens during conference, like they get out half days. But like in high school, that's not how they do it. And I just assumed mm. that middle school did it like high school. Uh, well, apparently not. And they also had a shortened day. So Caleb then finally gets to a phone and says, Mom, where are you? And it's like, I don't know, like 145. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. So I'm like, be right there. You know, like screaming across town. So anyway, so that was one of them. And so I just feel like the middle school could have done a better job at communicating the schedule change. Because yes. in high school, they go the whole day. It's just that, you know. Um, they have a modified internal schedule, so that way it accommodates oh. those conferences. So anyway, oops. We're lucky that our district is very seamless. What happens in kindergarten happens in 12th grade. Yeah, that doesn't happen in our district. Oh, and I love saying, that ours does. Yeah, because I have four different schools oh. that do things a little bit differently. I have Kelly that's still in elementary school, Caleb that's in middle school, and then we have different high schools. And actually, I'm going to correct myself. There's five different schools oh, because... Gosh. Cooper's in a different high school than um, than my boys, and they also go to New Tech part of the day for the skill center piece. And so, yeah, five different schools we're coordinating with. So it is just 
super well, give fun. yourself some grace. Yeah, You're you know, allowed to, like, oops. Yeah, and the it's two okay. older boys drive, but they're coming from different schools, and when they get out and when their siblings get out, it just doesn't really always match up. So, no. Yeah, next no. year's going to be super fun, too, because I, the boys will be not in school anymore, and we'll hopefully... God willing, have jobs. Yes. Uh, so anyway, and I have planned on my boys are probably never moving out because rent is so expensive that oh, it's not yes. feasible. Yes. To get an apartment. No, that is true. Like, Unless we put them all in an apartment I'm ourselves. I'm telling you, that might be an option. Like we should just go together, buy a house. Oh. With four bedrooms. Yeah. Each one gets their own bedroom. Yeah. What about like, idea? We could be onto something. It could be because you're <laughs> right. I, you know, it's a struggle for even just neurotypical young people to be able to afford an apartment. Let <sighs> alone then when we're talking about housing for our kids that have special needs that require supports. Like that is just a whole another podcast topic that we oh, can, oh, yes. we'll have to dive into another day. Now here's my question for you because Brooklyn, they were. They played a little bit differently when they were younger. Yes. And because so, they were really, really close early on. So Josiah currently is 15, but cognitive reasoning skills of 10 to 12-year-old, but the emotional development of a 3-year-old. So that combination was more together. Like, the gaps weren't so large when he was younger. So when he was, like, 6, 7, 8, when Brooklyn was 2 and 3... It was perfect. It was actually like twins they yeah. played together well they did the parallel play quite well they did the cause and effect but it was funny because they were still learning what happens when you do like when I kick over a tower what happens yeah it's very much appropriate learning skills at that point um but once Josiah hit puberty and the hormones came in became the aggressive piece and the agitated grumpy 15 year old boy piece yeah and what little girl wants to play with that right yeah. so for the first like I would say five to six years of Brooklyn, they were best pals. They, yeah. I mean, he was reading to her, to his ability. She would sit and listen. She always looked up to him. But then once that puberty 13-year-old hit, it was a big shift in their relationship. Yeah. And now she's playing beyond a three-year-old ability, and she wants to do other things, and he's still not quite – he's not really advancing to that same no. level. So now what she wants to be doing for activities are not necessarily the same interests that he has. Yeah, and it's very much – I, for lack of better terms, and excuse me if this upsets some people, but it's very gender role-playing. Yeah. She's into the babies and the caretaking and all of the things, and he has discovered the PlayStation and the games that he has interests in. So their interests don't even align anymore. Yeah. It's very segregated yeah. into and what their interests are. And that is very true with Caleb and Kelly because they would, you know, play, you know, Caleb had no problem, you know, dressing up and, you know, doing all the things yeah. when they were littler or, you know, doing like playing Barbies and dolls and stuff because he didn't really care because he didn't know any like gender, you know, he wasn't biased in any of that capacity. But now, of course, he is, too, also into video games. And so now he would prefer to play video games. And Kelly's just not a gamer. She just yeah. could care less about it. So she likes to craft, and she likes to... And that's funny, because yeah. Brooklyn's artsy and crafty and, and expressionate. Yes. Yeah, she wants to spend her time. Now, Caleb still benefits from this, because he loves to eat his sister's <laughs> creations. And, and that's where it's a little bit hard, too, because I will say that Caleb's... Uh, you know, being able to prepare his own meals has lagged behind where he should be developmentally because his sister is always happy to be in the kitchen making his top ramen, making his mac and cheese, like cooking him a pizza. 
and he's completely content to just like have you know like his little sister in the kitchen making his meals for him and I'm just like listen here a-hole it's about time we learn how to do this ourselves well why Kelly likes to do it and it's like again red flags are going off in my head like oh hell no I'm sorry but my daughter is not going to get into that role and expectation that she thinks this is her job. On the other hand, you know, we need to be really working with Caleb so that he doesn't expect this to be a woman's role of someone serving me. Right. And it's that like foreseen trauma that we're trying to prevent. Like she sees her dad and I, and we have a very independent relationship. Like we're not codependent to a fault, you know, but I worry that even our role modeling for her isn't enough to undo what she is perceiving is okay yes. at eight. Yes. Like no matter how much we role model independence and respect for each other and how to treat one another, it's not embedded, I don't think, as deeply as the trauma of her coping skills now. Yeah. I'm intrigued by it. And so what's the role, because the older boys, um, their role with Josiah, like, are they pretty connected with him? Do they have that same level of caretaking, or are they pretty um, disconnected? I wouldn't say Bryce is super connected. Um, Darius is when necessary. And Darius is his biological Bi- brother. Biological brother. Mm-hmm. Um, but even at that, the boys are hardly home. Yeah. They go to school. They both work full-time, almost full-time. And then they're out with friends. Like, they themselves are learning how to spread their wings, yeah. how to grow deeper roots but wider wings. Yeah. And they're not home much. They're not, they're only seen in front of their own noses. Yeah. Which is totally appropriate for 18 and 17 year olds. Yeah. And so their engagement is minimal. Yeah. And the problem that we have too is, is that because Cooper's behaviors are big, it becomes a, it's uncomfortable for us to really be able to, um, you know, there were a time where I could say, hey, boys, we're going to the store. Can you take, you know, watch Cooper? And because of his behaviors and when, you know, like, it's like it's Hulk smash is what we call it in our house. Legit. Um, like it is. Josiah will the, say. The, the, sc- the screams sounds just like the Hulk in like the Avengers movie because when he gets mad and he does that rage scream, it sounds exactly like Cooper because he gets upset. But the thing about it is, is that we've had to make the decision that it's probably even, you know, if we go anywhere, it might be to the next door neighbor's house and we're watching on the cameras and it's like we can be there within like a minute because, mm. you know, you just can't in good conscience leave the boys or even Kelly to have to deal with, you know. And that's funny you say that. We were in the same boat. We used to be able to go run to Walmart go get what we needed and come home. At the most, it was 45 minutes, maybe an hour, if we wanted to treat ourselves to a coffee in the car. Like, um, but we can't even go to the back of our property anymore. Like, it is constant adult eyes on. And it's to the point that my eyes on supervision isn't sufficient enough anymore, where there needs to be either his dad home or a couple of adults home. Because if it gets explosive, it takes more than one person. At school, he was a three-on-one, if, to put it in perspective, yeah. the level of support that's needed. And that's very true. There came a time this summer with, you know, we were having his grandpa watch him for us. And because um, John, I don't remember where, 
John might have had to be out of town or something. I don't remember. And I was just down in the camper in the front field recording. I believe I was recording a podcast. And I think I it was like two things in the same day where I was recording a podcast in the morning. And he had a meltdown. And Grandpa had to deal with it. And when I, by the time I got up there, it had de-escalated, and then, but Grandpa was just like, holy hell, what in the heck is this? And then I was like, well, you know, okay, well, he's calm now, and I have, now I have to do the Zoom training, and I was going to go back down to the camper and do the Zoom, it was a one-hour Zoom training with Volunteers of America, and I'm like, Are, you know, do you feel like you're okay? And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm fine. And then sure enough, as soon as I was down there again, he had another meltdown, and then grandpa was concerned about, you know, like telling my husband, oh, I remember he was out of town at uh, a training. And so I, oh, no, I'm sorry. He was on a 24-hour shift because he's a firefighter. And so I don't like to tell my husband what's happening because I need him to be able to focus on work. He has a very dangerous job. And if he's preoccupied with stuff that's going on at home, it's not safe for him. So I, the rule that we have in our home is, is that, you know, I don't care how bad it is. Like we cannot, if, if John calls in to do a check-in while he's working a 24 hour shift, like we need to just, everything is great. Everything's fine. And, um, but grandpa then wanted to have a conversation with John and I, because he says, you know, I don't even think that Holly should, can handle this because, you know, she was down in the trailer and, and he's like, I don't think Holly physically, and it's like, oh, well, see, here's the thing. I don't go hands-on. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, like, I know my limitations. But it really created that safety concern. Yes. And so um, it's just not a good place to be. No, and I do not like hands-on. I But don't. there comes a point where I have to at least get him safely to his bedroom. Yeah. Um, and he's 5'9", five, 5'10", five, 200 pounds. Like, yeah. there is nothing that I can even intimidate him with yeah to have him even blink an eye like yeah. it's just to the point that I can't be home by myself with him yeah. and if it is it's like overly accommodating like what can I get you yeah. like We're walking gonna... on rose petals like we are not disturbing any sort of force yeah whatsoever if you want a case of Mountain Dew right now you're getting a case of Mountain yes. Dew because we can't run the risk of escalating yes. this when there's no backup so yeah, yeah it just kind of creates uh it just is a different dynamic now the reason why we're talking about this is it doom and gloom no um I mean there are lots of positive things and wonderful moments that we yes and I am glad that his siblings get the exposure yes because it teaches them things that many people in our world will never get touched by and it makes them better people it does and you know there is that level of independence mm -hmm. and 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 those are things that you know while I hate that it's based and it maybe you know was um necessitated based off of some trauma responses it's still they're very good helpful life skills and there's a lot of things that parents can be doing to be aware of it number one I think step number one is be aware number two is I'm a big advocate of sibling support programs and Isaac Foundation has one if you're curious we still have some capacity for more kids to join um, we if we get enough kids on our wait list I could see having a second group of kids that start um, you also have some experience doing um, with some sib shop training. Yes. And so that's where I guess, you know, I honestly, I truly believe that one of the most underserved populations in the entire family dynamic is the neurotypical siblings. There, you have to spend, you, and this is not your fault, you have to spend a lot of excess time, extra time supporting the needs of your special needs child. Do not feel guilty about that. But you also need to be aware of the fact that the other siblings, there is an impact. Yes. And, um, 
And I think there's that missing piece in the schools. Yes. Because my daughter got the Caring Award for the month, which is fantastic. Like, I want her to have those capabilities. But she's doing it out of a place where she's safe. Like, that's yes. a safe thing is taking care of others. And so in school, she looks like a great student. But we know that internally there's so much going on. Yes. So they really go under the radar in all environments of their world yeah. that it's hard because they pre present fantastic. Like they're in such a good space yeah. where we know that if we ask them a simple question, it could be tears and a meltdown. Oh, absolutely. Like they're one tear away from. Yeah. And we saw during COVID that, you know, we didn't realize how neurotypical siblings, while maybe they don't love school, they use school as a way of getting yes. out of the home, yes. away from their sibling, to be able to be just a neurotypical, normal kid, just like everybody else in their class, right? Or almost everybody else Not in their Cooper's class. sibling, not yes. Josiah's sibling. I get to be Brooklyn. Yeah. I get to be Tate. Yeah, I just get to be. Be, yes. And so she was, you know, she can be also, I notice sometimes that she can be a little high maintenance. It's not that she's not capable, but she just wanted the teacher or whatever parent was volunteering in the classroom to give her a little extra time and support. And then I was like, you know, and we saw it more. We, we noticed it more during COVID when she was doing online schooling and she wasn't getting that. And some of the real tailspinning that she was doing like socially and emotionally during COVID yes. because she couldn't get away to be that normal kid. Like nobody in her class necessarily knows that she has two brothers with autism, you know, and there's mm -hmm. that element of real just normalcy for her. When that was taken away, we started seeing a lot of emotional problems. So I guess party messages and you tell me what your um, party message would be is number one, if you have access to any sort of sibling, sibling support programming that's designed for neurotypical siblings who understand the dynamics of having a special needs family, I think is very valuable. Um, you know, getting them into counseling, whether it's, I know it's really hard because there's not enough mental health providers out there, but even also if you have access to a school counselor so that you can just ask them to check on them a little, you know, like just every now and again, they, they will probably never reach out to you because they are resilient and this is just you know well this is life and this is just how we have to deal with it but a school counselor could just check in with them every now and again just you know you know let's just have a little chat like what do we you know how is it going um I also you did it last week your husband was out of town and you spent a lot of time doing um just some good mom and daughter activities. And I thought, oh my goodness, how wonderful is that? You know, if you have the capacity and you can get away with this, with the neurotypical siblings for that one-on-one -on -one time, I think it's really mm -hmm. valuable. But what else do you think, or piggybacking on some of the my suggestions that people would have for their neurotypical siblings? Like, what do you think? One thing that I have often thought about, but the energy hasn't been there. And I oh, will be 100%. that's a season two. That's a season two, people. So don't. I will be honest that I've had the thought, but I haven't had the go-to. I really would love to connect with somebody either in my family or my friends group and be like a designated aunt. So that aunt person or uncle could connect with Brooklyn, like check yeah. in how she's doing. Because I think- Almost like a big brother, big yes, sister concept. Oh, yes. That's a great idea. Just where you designate like the cool aunt or the cool older cousin or like, hey, can you take her out for ice cream once a month? Like yes. here's the gas money, here's the fro-yo money. Here's all the money, here's the money. Make it Will happen. you make her the center of your world? Yeah. Once a month, twice a month. Like, just to have that big brother, big sister syndrome. And I could ask her, but as our kiddos know the stress that we're under, yeah. I feel like they don't tell us all about them. 
as a protective mode for us, which is, again, trauma response. But yeah. if it was somebody who knew that they, every time they see them, they were happy and life was good, they would feel maybe more comfortable. Opening up. Opening up. And so when school first started, Brooklyn threw up every morning before school because Aww. her anxiety is just through the roof. So I connected with her counselor and I said, this is what's going on. This is what's been going on. This is all the things. So to this day, they have a teacher, a different teacher, connect with her, send her like a postcard in class. And then she gets to write back, like, what are your favorite things? So it's just another connection in a different environment. Oh, so great. I would really, because sometimes finding counselors is hard. Oh, finding, we're on a terminal wait list right now. Yes. So mm -hmm. if you could find somebody within your kids' each environment as a designated go-to, it might take six months, a year, to establish a relationship. But once that person feels comfortable indulging in whatever is going on, I think even just to know that they have a person when they are ready to talk to would be so beneficial for our kids because I know for me, Holly's my go-to where we might not talk all the time, but oh, yeah. I know that I can be like, okay, Holly. In a moment's notice, Holly, I will be there for you. Okay, I'm crying. Just hold on a minute. I'll get my thoughts together. Yeah. But we have safe people, but we've learned how to designate who's safe for us. Yeah. So if we can show that to our kiddos, I think that's huge. That is a genius And idea. it doesn't take much energy. No. Really, it takes more energy from the designated person, in all truth. Yeah, but you know, I also feel like that designated person, the value, and just that feeling that you're yes. making a difference for someone could have a lot of impact even for them. So mm -hmm. that's a really, it's like that. When Why do people sign up for big brothers and sisters? To be those big brothers and big sisters is because they want to try and make a difference for young people that need a role model and someone that's just going to dote on them a little bit. And how many college kids do we have? So I live in a college town who probably are siblings of yeah. who resonate with the little girl in them yeah. that wish they would have had that. So if we, I mean, that could just be a program Fantastic. that's not developed yet. But I would see it be beneficial if like, hey, we can go to the certain sororities or if, like, Brooklyn's super interested in art, can we connect with an art teacher and say, hey, do you have a student with an extra 20 minutes once a month in their schedule? Would they be willing to? Like, I think that would be life-changing. Oh, I, yes, I think you're absolutely right. That's a genius idea. I'm going to put a little post-it note on that yeah. whole concept because, <laughs> you know, here at the Isaac Foundation, we're always looking to, you know, address gaps. And, and you don't know what those gaps are until it's there. Until like, you're in the middle of the yes. gap, and then you're like, well, shit, now yeah. what do I do? Now so. I need that, and it's not there, so let's go make it. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you for joining me. Like well, I said, thank you for I having have me. been doing a lot of, and I like I said, I love podcasting with other agencies and organizations and providers and different important people in Spokane but boy I tell you what there's just something cathartic about being able to connect with other autism parents because uh, you are not in this alone and we're hoping that there might be a gem or two in this podcast and some of our other ones that might help you get um, through your season so with that yes. we're going to wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild and that's it for now if you want to be notified of our next podcast release be sure to hit subscribe and just remember, we're all in this together, so find your tribe and hold them tight.